the Fed was aggressively as they're acting, it's much more likely that they overshoot this time around, meaning that likely they'll cause a recession rather than their preferred kind of soft landing terminology. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. With U.S. inflation remaining near a 40-year high, is a 75 basis point interest rate hike a real possibility? In today's episode, Matt Montemuro, Chris McKinney, and your host, Mark Rays, discuss the Fed's messaging as well as inflation's impact on tips ETFs, volatility and call writing, oil prices, and the U.S. healthcare sector. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETF Weekly Insight Call with our team of experts. I'm today's host, Mark Rays, Head of Product for BMO Global Asset Management. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Today, to help us with our answers, we have two portfolio managers on from the desk, Matt Montemuro and Chris McCaney. Thanks to both of you for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Well, let's get right into things. Lots to cover again today. I'd like to start with U.S. inflation, where advisors have been asking questions on where this may be headed. We've got the latest print coming in at 8.3%, which, of course, was below the previous of 8.5%, but above expectations of 8.1%. So what does this all mean for equity markets and central bank activity? And as you think about that, are we starting to reach a buying opportunity, or is future caution still needed? And if you can, please use ZSP, our S&P 500 ETF, to illustrate your comments. Thanks. Yeah, Mark, and, and you know, I think we're starting to hear that those rumblings about peak inflation in the U.S. You know, was March's print of uh, 8.5% the highest we'll see? As you know, the Fed has really taken inflation as as its uh, as its sole purpose right now to aggressively raise rates, uh, moving forward in the hope of uh, cooling those those inflationary pressures. You know, we've already seen one 50 basis point increase by the Fed, uh, and we expect to see another 50 uh, beeps in June and July. Uh, so, you know, although Powell has said that 75 basis points won't happen this time around, you know, he hasn't really taken that off the table, kind of showing that, you know, the, the Fed is definitely wants want to keep all of its tools at its disposal in case inflation does continue to, to heat up. If you look at the market expectations, you know, although Powell did say that, the market still does look quite uh, aggressive in terms of saying that there is a small chance of 75 basis point hikes in both June and July's meetings. So you know, just the magnitude of those hikes, the speed of, of which the Fed has increased and, and looks to uh, plan to increase, I think is is a concern and could be daunting to some to some investors. Um, you know, I think that you know if you look at the the speed at which we're increasing rates, you're going to see the cost of borrowing going up, and and what you're going to start to see is um, you're going to start to see growth s- 
slow down. You know, rising prices, slow down in spending. You know, in general, that's just going to cause the slowdown in the economy. So, you know, I think uh, the Fed likely due to, you know, as aggressively as they're, they're acting, it's much more likely that they overshoot this time around, uh, meaning that likely they'll cause a recession rather than their preferred kind of soft landing terminology. So, you know, I think that they'll, they'll look at, at, at trying to control inflation. And, you know, if that does cause some re- a recession or, or a, a slowdown in growth, I think that that's just going to be uh, a consequence of it. And I think as we look out on the horizon, uh, I do expect volatility in the short term to be elevated. Uh, I think there is down, downside risk, um, you know, again, in the short term. But I do think that it, it's starting to be a period that, that we can start to, to look at potentially having a, a buying opportunity uh, if you can weather uh, that increased vol and that, that, that increased uh, volatility in the, in the short term. So longer term investors, you know, this could be the pullback that uh, provides that opportunity. You know, if you look at valuations, they are definitely looking much more reasonable than they were, uh, you know, uh, six months ago, uh, a year ago. You know, this could be uh, that opportunity to enter a position or add to position. So, you know, if you do look at ZSP, for example, if you look at PEs, you know, they've come down, you know, averaging about 20 right now, where we've seen an average PE of the high 20s for the last year. You know, large cap quality tech names have really uh, pulled back. You know, that does make up the top of the S&P. And, you know, that wide sell-off, you know, it's starting to look quite attractive for buyers who want to uh, invest in some of these quality, you know, tech names over the long term. So, so, for example, if you look at Google, you know, that has a PE right now of 17 after the pullback and could easily be considered, you know, long-term value for an investor who's willing to kind of close their eyes over the short term and, and really look at long-term prospects. So, you know, although I do see PEs, um, looking above historical averages, uh, we haven't seen them at these levels in, in quite some time. So I do think, you know, for an investor uh, who, you know, has got a long, long-term uh, time horizon, this could be an opportunity to enter back into the market. You know, inflation will come with volatility, and I think that's going to persist over the short term. Uh, but I think it is a good time to, to look at something like ZSP um, and, uh, and, and buy at, at kind of the dip here. As well, you could also consider ZLU as a way to uh, to invest if you want to minimize some of that downside risk over this period of, of volatility while still staying invested. Or if you want to increase that quality, you could also look at ZUQ uh, for those who want to maintain some of that growth potential, but really only focus on the, those most highest quality names. So, you know, I definitely think with the pullback we've seen, it could we're starting to look at uh, attractive valuation levels. Um, it's just, you know, you kind of have to uh, be okay with weathering some short-term volatility for, for a long-term gain. Great. Thanks for that update, Matt. And as you say, certainly seeing a different story in PEs than what we were talking about a short while ago when everyone concern, was concerned about the, the level, but seeing the current PE on the S&P 500 uh, down to around 20, I think that's uh, starting to look attractive to investors. Would you like to hear more from BMO Global Asset Management's team of investment experts? Check out the BMO Market Insights podcast. 
These timely, client-friendly episodes deliver the latest news and commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing, with a focus on exchange-traded funds. Available now at bmoetfs.ca, that's bmoetfs.ca, or on your favorite podcast platform. Let's follow up on inflation. Can you provide an update on ZTIP and ZTIP.F, our short U.S. TIP ETF? How does inflation impact the price of this ETF as we try to navigate through the volatility? Thanks. Yeah, I'll stay on the inflation uh, topic today. So, you know, ZTIP and, and, and ZTIP.F uh, have been some of our fastest growing ETFs since the launch in, in January of last year. You know, kind of a perfect timing for the launch to meet, uh, you know, a growing concern for investors and, you know, really a concern that has, has really come to fruition in, in a real way. So, you know, we hear on, on a daily basis, investors concerned about inflation. You know, how can I add it to my portfolio? Uh, when do I do, do I add that, that that exposure? So to start the conversation, I, let's why don't we look at, at performance? You know, year to date, it's been a very tough environment for fixed income. You know, really a bloodbath we hadn't seen in, in you know, 40 years uh, in, in some cases. Uh, and, and basically a very challenging environment. Uh, ZTIP has actually stood out above uh, the rest and in providing um, inflation protection and, and near flat performance. It's been one of the better performing fixed income segments uh, year to date. Comparing it to other fixed income assets, uh, you know, if, you, if I just look at ZTIP.F, you know, the hedge version taking currency out of the equation, uh, it's down about 60 basis points. So if you compare that to short US treasuries, uh, those are down 2.8%. Uh, the differential between those two is um, is really what you're what you're getting in terms of that inflation protection, and that's like the tips versus U.S. Treasury. That's what you're really trying to take advantage of by using tips uh, versus kind of that ve- uh, vanilla U.S. Treasury exposure. Comparing it to short-term U.S. credit, you know that's down five percent year to date. And then if you look at it compared to kind of your overall aggregate Canadian universe, which is down over 11%, you can see how uh, adding ZTIP to a portfolio could be an excellent complement to that that traditional fixed income portfolio, providing inflation exposure, but also uh, being able to kind of eliminate some of that downside risk that that we're seeing right now in this uh, rapidly uh, interest rate increasing environment. So that's kind of what we've seen year to date, but let's uh, try to look forward and, and see kind of break down how ZTIP will perform uh, in the period ahead. So I think it's, it's important to understand the key to investing in ZTIP is to determine what is already priced into the market. So price action in TIPS or, or ZTIP for, for this one is driven by actual inflation being higher than expected inflation. So to break this down, you know, we look at inflation break-even. So, you know, what is an inflation break-even? That compares a U.S. TIP, so an inflation-protected security, with a matching vanilla U.S. Treasury. And basically, that break-even tells you the inflation level in which you'd be indifferent between owning the two of them. So basically, it's, you know, at at the specific break-even level, you'd be indifferent for the next year to own a, a Treasury uh, inflation protected tips or a U.S. Treasury. So let's use uh, the one year break even as an example. So if you were considering tips today, 
and you had a holding period of one year. So I'm looking at the one-year break-even on U.S. tips. That's at a level of 4.87%. So this means that in one year, if average actual inflation comes in above 4.87%, you are better off owning the inflation-protected security, the U.S. tips. If actual inflation comes in less than 4.87%, you are better off owning uh, just a plain vanilla U.S. Treasury. So in our case, on the ETF side, it'd be ZTS. So as break-evens move higher, it makes the inflation protection more expensive. So that's kind of how you evaluate. Do, uh, that's how you evaluate uh, whether to put on, you know, a tips exposure or just a U.S. Treasury exposure, and that really drives the price movement um, in a given period. So year to date, we've seen inflation break even skyrocket to a peak of 6.3% in March, uh, but they have come down as the Fed has, has started to forcibly uh, raise uh, interest rates. So as, as I said, right now, it's about 487 for the one-year break even. Given the concerns about inflation continuing to run hot uh, well into 2023, I personally think that 4.87 is a reasonable level to continue to use ZTIP as a complement within your fixed income portfolio. So that means that I believe in one year, if I bought it today, that actual inflation would be higher than 4.87%. Therefore, ZTIP would outperform and perform better than the uh, alternative vanilla U.S. Treasury. If you are looking to add or, or consider U.S. tips exposure, you know, using inflation break-evens uh, gives you a good idea as to, you know, whether uh, that entry point uh, makes sense. And I think that's the biggest part here. The, the market will dictate where those break-evens are, and then you, you as an investor need to decide, okay, you know, in one year, do I think inflation is going to be higher or lower than the current break-even level? You know, if you think that the Fed is going to be successful and that they're going to be very successful at increasing rates to a point where inflation comes down uh, meaningfully and you think inflation will come in lower than that 4.87%, I would say this would be a time to either sell your Z uh, tip exposure or look at just the U.S. Uh, Treasury because the vanilla Treasury will outperform tips in that case. So that's kind of just a breakdown of, of how tips work. Um, we've seen actual inflation come in higher than uh, expected inflation over the last 12 to 18 months, leading to some strong performance uh, by U.S. tips versus the, the vanilla treasury. Uh, I still think right now at current break-even levels that Z-tip is, is an excellent complement to your portfolio. You know, 5 or 10% allocation, I think, will help, uh, especially over the short term you know, next six months, uh, protect on the downside from, from some of those uh, uh, inflation concerns as the Fed really tries to figure out uh, how to control inflation going forward. Great. Thanks for that, Matt. And I think uh, you, you really nailed it there. To put it succinctly, it's what your expectations are versus the market. And that's how that's how you come out ahead or not relative to uh, ZTIP. So some good things to think about there as, as you think about what your expectations are on, on continued inflation. Now, can you give us an update on volatility and call writing using ZWH, our U.S. High Dividend Covered Quality ETF? Advisors are asking for comments on the portfolio as well. What has helped ZWH stay 8% ahead of the S&P uh, so far this year? Thanks. 
Yeah, I'll take that one, Mark. And uh, yeah, so a couple of different things there, and maybe first we'll we'll focus on the volatility aspect. Uh, we've certainly seen volatility and implied volatility stay elevated here in 2022 so far. Um, the VIX, um, you know, the market measure of uh, implied volatility, staying persistently high. You know, we're in the high 20s right now, but it's been anywhere between 25 and 35. Uh, for most of 2022 so far. And that's a little bit different than what we usually see. You know, usually you see a spike in volatility when markets sell off, and then it does tend to come down not as quick as it spikes up, but it does tend to come down in reasonable fashion. What we've seen here in 2022 is that it's actually stayed fairly elevated uh, for the most part. And so, you know, the, the call option programs and the covered call ETFs that we offer and the other option overlay ETFs that we that we offer um, tend to benefit from this type of environment. And so when you're selling call options, you're actually, that's a way for investors to monetize this volatility that's in the market. So it's one of the few ways investors can actually take advantage of the volatility that we're seeing. And taking a look at ZWH in particular, you know, usually we tell our investors that when we're adding this covered call overlay to a portfolio, we're, we're generally trying to add around 2 to 4% on an annualized basis in terms of the cash flow that we can generate uh, from the call option uh, overlay. And certainly on ZWH um, here in 2022, we've really been at that 4% level. So much at, at, the, at the high end of that 2 to 4% range that we, that we generally give investors as a rule of thumb. So certainly at the high end in terms of how we're able to monetize this volatility and generate cash flow in the portfolios, we've been about 4%, 4% plus over the last few months within this portfolio. The other thing that means is that we're able to push the moneyness of our options further out, meaning we're allowing for more growth potential in the portfolios. Um, covered calls in general are a little bit of a trade-off between potential future growth or certainty of cash flow today. That's the trade-off you're making when you're investing in a covered call portfolio. And so that growth trade-off is, is higher in times of higher volatility like we're seeing. So you, the portfolio can grow before you're giving away any of that growth potential. And so we've seen in the last few months within ZWH in particular, the moneyness of our options has averaged around seven, eight, nine percent so that means uh, on an individual stock basis, that stock can move up, you know, eight or nine percent over the life of that option before that growth starts to get traded away. So that's a pretty good outcome for covered call investors. Generally, you get less growth out of a covered call portfolio. But when you're talking about seven, eight, nine percent over a month or two, that's a pretty reasonable level of growth in addition to that four percent annualized income that we're generating within the portfolio. So very, very good environment for, for covered call overlays right now and for option overlays that generate cash flow from option premiums in general. Um, in terms of the portfolio of ZWH, as you mentioned, it's performed very well this year um, relative to the broad market. You know, when we're seeing broad markets selling off anywhere between, you know, 10, 12, uh, you know, upwards of 20%, if you're looking at the NASDAQ as well, and MSCI World down double digits also, um, you know, it's good to see a portfolio that's only down a few percent so far here in 2022. In terms of, um, you know, the portfolio makeup, um, you know, this portfolio is built on dividend growers. So not necessarily the highest dividend payers, 
but companies that have a high level of cash flow from operations that are able to pay out um, a significant amount of dividends, but also to grow those dividend payments over time. And in an inflationary environment, these are really the type of stocks that are that will perform best. You know, you, you might have heard the the phrase that in, in times of inflation, cash is king. And you know, one of the things that that means is that the companies that will do best from a valuation perspective and a performance uh, perspective are those that are generating the cash flow from operations today, this year, next year, and the following year. So not so much the growth-oriented stocks that have high earnings potential out in the future, but the companies that are making that those earnings today. So looking at the portfolio and the stocks that have done you know, really well, it's names like Chevron, of course, oil has done, has done very well, so that's part of the tailwind there, but also companies like Merck, Coca-Cola, IBM, AT&T, so, you know, some of these things, some of the things these companies have in common, very well established, you know, almost older guard type companies that have been around a long time, have very well established uh, business models and are able to, again, generate that cash flow on a consistent basis to pay those dividends and, and, to, and to make those earnings streams. So um, that's the type of company that's been performing very well in this sort of environment. Uh, we do expect that to, to continue to some degree. Um, and uh, again, focusing on those dividend payers and dividend growers has helped this portfolio in particular uh, over time or over over the recent months. Um, I would say it's you know it's not necessarily sector focused. You know when you look at dividend payers, you do tend to um, get attracted to certain sectors over others. You know for example, utilities pay a lot of dividends versus technology companies that generally don't. Um, so there's a little bit of that going on, but when I take a look at the portfolio, it's really across sectors um, that it has been outperforming. You know, it is diversified across sectors, and within each sector, it's the names that are with that that we're holding within those sectors that are performing the best. So uh, again, it's really one of these situations where it's that cash flow-oriented stock has done well here in 2022, um, and for any investor that's really worried about inflation, you know, Matt talked a lot about that over the first couple of questions. For investors thinking inflation will stay persistent, stay relatively high, but want to find an equity investment for that, um, you know, these, these type of uh, portfolios that generate that cash flow and pay out those dividends um, would be a good place to uh, to put those, those funds. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Appreciate that update. Does market volatility have you wondering where to go to ride out the storm? Not all cash equivalents are created equal, and BMO's money market and ultra-short-term bond ETFs offer several high-quality options to park client cash. To learn more, visit bmoetfs.ca and search for tickers ZMMK, ZST, and ZUS, or read our latest product insights. Let's turn now to oil, where WTI is back above $110 a barrel. What are the expectations as you look ahead for further price increases? And what does it mean for ZEO, our equal weight oil and gas ETF? Thanks. Yeah, so as you mentioned, you know, oil again back above $110. We're almost back to the highs after that initial spike after the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, at the end of February, early March. You know, oil spiked very quickly as a knee jerk reaction over $120 a barrel. Um, came back down fairly quickly after that, but has stayed somewhat elevated. 
um, since then, and we're seeing that trend starting starting to trend back upwards in terms of that oil price. Um, you know, again, back closer to that $120 level. What's interesting, though, is you know if you take a look at the oil price even before the Russian invasion, we were seeing signs of a, a really nice setup for for an increased oil price. Um, you know, at the end of December, I think oil was trading probably around $75 or so, and by mid-February, it was actually over $90. So just within that, you know, month, month and a half, um, you saw the oil price move from $75 to $90. And so maybe a little bit of that was, um, you know, some anticipation of a Russian uh, incursion. And, you know, certainly it became much larger than what even uh, market participants were expecting. So maybe there was a little bit of that being priced in uh, in advance. But certainly we were seeing... Uh, very strong uh, conditions for the oil price and for the energy market in general um, to have these higher prices sustained. In fact, I think, um, you know, again, even before uh, that Russian invasion, uh, that $90 price point was the highest we've seen oil since since 2014. So these conditions were around before the war. And so I think really that war has really just accelerated um, you know, that, that move to the upside in terms of oil price and energy prices in general. You know, we've heard a lot of companies uh, on recent earnings calls, and Target was one of them uh, very recently talking about what was unexpected uh, in their performance uh, was really, you know, transportation costs of goods, right? So we're not even talking about, um, you know, the service industry with, with flying and travel. We're talking about the goods industry and just moving those goods around and the impact that that's having on on some of these companies. And so I I think, you know, when we take a look at the potential for further price increases or or prices coming down in the oil space, you know, I don't really see a significant move back down as uh, as long as really, you know, the Russian invasion or the war is happening. Um, You know, companies in Europe or countries in Europe like Germany, Italy, are continuing to buy Russian gas right now because they really don't have any other alternative. So, you know, they're working hard to see if there are ways around that. And so if you do see, um, you know, Germany or Italy or one of these larger uh, European countries come out eventually and say, you know, they're, they're, they're blocking Russian gas, they're, they're going to no longer rely on that, you know, that could meaningfully move the market up even further, potentially, um, or any any other... Um, you know, happenings around the war, any, any sort of, um, you know, further incursions or, or, or what have you um, could also move that price up a bit further. So we could see some relief here and there, um, but I don't think it's going to be significant. Um, interestingly, uh, you know, Biden announced uh, release of the Strategic Petroleum Reserves to try and reduce some of the price pressures, and the price has only gone up since that was announced. And in fact, uh, interestingly, um, the SPR, the Strategic Petroleum Reserves, have already announced they're going to start the process of refilling that reserve. Um, Of course, that's going to be down the line, but they get the process started now. And there's some thinking that um, the reason they're doing that now and getting it out there is that they want the market to know there's going to be a sustained buyer um, in the future. So one of the things that can bring the pressure off the current price is if we have that marginal uh, producer here in North America, um, you know, turn those taps back on, so to speak, 
And the, the marginal producer in North America really needs a high oil price because it's very expensive for them to get the oil out of the ground. So they really need a high oil price um, to make it economical. And we've seen a few times in the past where the oil price does get high, you know, whether that's $90 or $100, these marginal producers come into the market, um, turn the taps on, and then the oil price drops, um, and, then, and then they get wiped out. So that's what's causing a lot of these um, sort of domestic producers to be a little bit hesitant in terms of increasing that supply um, as much as they're able to. So, you know, there has, again, been some thought that by announcing they're going to be refilling this SPR, that they're giving some comfort to that marginal producer, that there will be demand down the line. And so they're looking for ways to increase production, increase supply in order to take a little bit of that pressure off. But in terms of what that means for ZEO, you know, one of the few bright spots in the equity market, ZEO is up over 40% uh, so far here in 2022. And that helped the Canadian uh, broad market, the Canadian index, you know, stay relatively flat compared to what we've seen in the U.S. and globally uh, in terms of total returns here in 2022. You know, Canada has been one of those few markets that hasn't really had a significant sell-off, and it's largely because of that oil uh, industry and other resources as well. But, you know, again, oil, ZEO, representing the, the companies in that sector, up 46% year-to-date. So it's done very, very well. Um, in terms of further price performance, you know, I think what happens is the longer we see the oil price stay at this level, um, that bodes well for the companies in that sector because they're able to hedge that um, exposure further out into the future and set up, um, you know, contracts in order to sell future uh, oil at higher prices in the future. And that just bodes well for the companies as well. So, um, again, looking at relatively sustained oil prices, um, generally that should do well, should bode well for those companies, um, you know, with somewhat of a six-month lag. So uh, the sector already done very well. We do think that should continue through 2022 as well. Right. Thanks for that, Chris. And as you say, one of the true bright spots in the in the markets this year. So certainly helping to uh, prop up the valuation of the Canadian market. Last question that's coming from advisors for this week, uh, asking about expectations on U.S. healthcare, or ZHU or ZUH, are two tickers on U.S. healthcare, have underperformed the broader U.S. market this year. Is this just a consolidation, or are there other motives at play, and what would trigger outperformance for this sector? Thanks. When you think about healthcare, you know usually that's viewed as a somewhat defensive sector. Um, so a little bit interesting that it has sold off a little bit more than the broad market so far here in 2022. Um, however, I think there might have been a little bit of froth in that sector that has built up and therefore a little bit more air to come out of the balloon, so to speak, um, on the way down. You know, we saw healthcare really perform very, very strongly post-COVID with, of course, increased emphasis. Investors looking at that sector more closely um, in a post-COVID type world. And so I think we saw valuations really get out of hand to some degree. You know, the sector performed very, very well, uh, as I mentioned, over the last you know, couple of years, call it into mid-2021 or so. And then we saw that start to move a little bit sideways and start to unwind a little bit. And then with the broad market selling off here, we've seen that sector, as you mentioned, sell off a little bit more so uh, than what the broad market has done. But typically, it is seen as more of a defensive sector, you know, not quite as defensive as something like utilities, 
there is a little bit more volatility in there, but a bit more of a defensive sector um, as we see, you know, economic growth potentially slowing down. Matt talked about what the Fed is doing and essentially by definition, trying to slow down economic activity and economic growth. If that happens, if inflation stays high, if rates move up, if we move into a low growth environment, whether that's recession or not, or just very low growth, healthcare is probably going to be one of those sectors um, that can hold up a little bit better than what the broad market does. You think of things like, you know, utilities, consumer staples, the, the characteristics they have um, that do well in a, in a bear market or, or, or a down market is that those business models don't really get uh, interrupted too much by lower growth. You know, you think about, you know, waste companies, for example, in the consumer staple sector or, or Johnson & Johnson and those types of stocks, you know, selling things that investors or consumers are going to need day in and day out, regardless of what the uh, GDP growth numbers are. And so healthcare kind of follows, uh, falls into that category as well. You know, invest, uh, consumers still need to buy their drugs. They still need to go to the doctor. Um, and uh, again, regardless of, of what the, the overall uh, GDP numbers or economic numbers are, are telling us. And so it can be one of those defensive sectors for investors looking at really a slower growth environment going forward and, and ways to play that within the equity market. You know, Matt briefly mentioned low volatility as one way, you know, ZLU being our U.S. low vol ETF as one way to stay invested in the market, um, but also have, um, you know, some defensive characteristics around that. You know, healthcare is one of those sectors um, that can achieve that as well. And so, you know, again, for investors looking for a slower growth environment, but still want that equity exposure, um, healthcare could be one of those uh, areas to look at. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. That's all the questions that have come in for this week. So I would like to thank everyone for listening in. Of course, thanks go out to both Matt and Chris uh, for your insights today. Much appreciated covering a lot of the market and Certainly a lot of moving pieces right now in portfolios and a lot of volatility to consider. So great to get your insights. So with that, I just want to thank everyone one last time and have a great day. Thank you to Mark Rays, Matt Montemiro, and Chris McKinney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Short-Term U.S. Tips Index ETF, ticker ZTIP, which may provide inflation protection as a complement to a traditional fixed income portfolio. Our experts also discussed the BMO U.S. High Dividend Covered Call ETF, ticker ZWH, which offers exposure to cash generative companies with growing dividends that may be attractive to investors expecting sustained high inflation. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.